name is Mike Ward, pastor here. I want to start off by asking you a trick question. See how many of my audience I can alienate before I get started. How many of you have ever been in the presence of a miracle? Okay, I see some hands, I see some hands, I see some hands. Okay, maybe maybe some of you who are not as sure about what I mean by miracle, first of all, and maybe not sure... Maybe you're not sure whether you've been in the presence of a miracle, or maybe you're not sure if God still does miracles the way that he did in the New Testament. You may, maybe you didn't raise your hand. I want to begin this morning by telling you that if you have been born again by the Holy Spirit, you have experienced the greatest miracle of God that you will ever experience in your life. All right? And God has given you from that platform of that miraculous work in your life, God has given you a platform to proclaim the gospel. And that's kind of where we're headed today. And I just want to put that out front so that we know whether whether you come from a tradition where you're a little more nervous about uh, uh, spectacular manifestations of the Holy Spirit, or if you come from a tradition where you're very comfortable with that and you even desire to see the church do more of that, I want you to know that we have unity around the fact that if we are born again, we can know that God still does miracles today because the greatest miracle is uh, the transformation of a heart of stone to a heart that follows God. Amen? So with that, let's get started. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3 today. This is going to be a mini-series. Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 are a mini-series within the series that we're doing on Acts And so this is the power of Jesus' name, part one. And the overarching idea that I want you to understand about Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see the miraculous power of God to perform healing for, for a lame man. But God's miraculous power to heal, the power to heal in Jesus' name in the New Testament always points to the power of Jesus' name to save. And so the power of God to heal is always intended in the New Testament, and I would argue in today, the power of God to heal is always intended to create a platform to point people to that ultimate miracle of salvation through Christ and salvation from judgment at the last day. And so the power of Jesus' name Big idea, God sometimes, for our sermon today, this is a big idea, God sometimes demonstrates miraculous healing power through Jesus' name as a platform for his servants to proclaim the saving power of Jesus' name. And so we're going to dive right in, but I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for this time to preach your word. Father, I pray that you would help me. Uh, I pray that you would give me clarity of expression, clarity of thought. God, guard my mouth. I don't want to say anything hurtful. I don't want to say anything harmful. Uh, I just want the saints to be built up, Father, and I pray that we would uh, gain a, uh, a more clear and a more true picture of what it looks like to, to seek your kingdom as a church. We ask that you would make this so in Jesus' name. Amen. God sometimes uses miraculous works as a platform for proclamation. And when we get into the text, you see this. Immediately, beginning in verse one, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And the man and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, 
to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, then he addressed the crowd. Okay. The, well, first of all, if you, if you come from a more cessationist tradition, uh, you may, so most, most people in the cessationist, and let me, let me preface this. I went to a seminary that is doctrinally cessationist, uh, but I myself am not a cessationist. And so I just want to say clearly that, that I have deep, deep love in my heart for uh, people from that tradition, and I am so thankful for uh, that investment. Cessationist means the person who takes the position that God does not, there were certain gifts for the New Testament era that were performed through the hands of the apostles that God no longer does today through the church. That's the cessationist position. Primarily, they mean sign gifts. And so this miracle would include one of those. They may still affirm that God does miracles. So like you might pray for your friend to be healed and say they've got cancer. The church prays for this person. They go to the doctor. Doctor says they're cancer free, right? So they might say in that kind of way, but wouldn't you agree that what Peter, what Luke is describing in Acts chapter three is a little more dramatic than laying hands on and going? So we're talking about dramatic manifestations of the spirit's power that create a throng of people and create an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So we're talking about that kind of that kind of miracle. So cessationists would say this sort of thing is no longer happening today. Whereas the continuationist position or the charismatic position would be that they are at least to some degree and believe me this is this is a spectrum and there are two opposite poles and there's a million points in between. So there are people fall in all kinds of different different categories. One of the dangers of standing up to to communicate with people is that in order to communicate in a limited amount of time, you always have to oversimplify. And so just be aware that I know there are going to be exceptions to what I'm saying. If I say something about cessationists and you say that doesn't make count me, that that doesn't include me. Forgive me. I'm just I'm just trying to I'm painting with a broad brush because I've only got a few minutes. Many cessationists, because they don't believe that this sort of thing could happen today, they take the position that these first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3 are, are mostly just setting. It's a literary device that's intended to set up Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon is the meat of the chapter, and the miracle is how we get there. On the other side, if you're a continuationist, or even, I would say, on the far extreme, charismatics, 
have a tendency to approach these verses as a play-by-play game plan for how Christians ought to approach healing. And I would say both of those positions are extremes. What I'm going to argue this morning is that I believe that God is free. He is sovereign, and he's absolutely free to do whatever he wants to do in any period of history that he wants to do it. And so we need to be open for God to do these kinds of things if he so chooses. But at the same time, we don't want to put God into our charismatic box and create magical formulas for how we can twist God's arm into acting on our command. So we need to be wary of both of those extremes. But we want to walk in this place of openness to God working. And man, wouldn't you love for God to work through you like this? Wouldn't you love? And, and more than that, that we would be prepared to proclaim and point to the power of Jesus' name as the reason for our healing and the reason for our wholeness, the reason for our salvation. So they were going up at the hour of prayer. Now, this would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This was a time when the evening sacrifice was being offered, and all the Jews would go to the temple, and they would offer prayers to God together. And so you can think of this as rush hour. I think, I think if you live in Dallas, we got panhandlers everywhere. We can totally relate to this. Okay, so this is rush hour, and they take him to the busiest intersection in town. All right, everybody's running into the temple. And this man was lame from birth, so he had never walked a day in his life, and they laid him down daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So this is a guy who stood at the busiest intersection in town every, or sorry, he sat at the busiest intersection in town to, to get alms. That's how he got his livelihood. This was Israel's welfare system. They didn't, they didn't have a social security office. So if you were unable to work, you didn't get a disability check, but you got some help from your neighbors to get down to the busy intersection and, and, and get alms from people coming through. And then seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I, I think there was a Monty Python skit one time. Those alms for the poor, alms for the poor. That's, that's what makes me think of all the time. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said... Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive from th- something from them. If you have driven through busy intersections in Dallas at rush hour, you know this experience, right? The guy's on the corner. He's got a sign, and his eyes are scanning, and he's looking for who he can make eye contact with. And if you he catches you looking at him, he's going to look at you. There's one guy who stands near my house, and he'll uh, look at you and go, Looks like a Buddhist monk. And he'll, you know, please, 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 if he catches eye contact with you, which is terrible that it makes you feel like you need to avoid eye contact, uh, but it's, it's high pressure. And uh, anyway, so, so he's trying to, he's scanning, he's trying to make eye contact. And Peter and John, they take the initiative to say, hey, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, boom, locked in, mm-hmm. <laughs> expecting to receive something from them. What does he expect to receive? Money. Money, please. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. How many uh, times have you talked with somebody who's asking for money on the street? And as soon as you say, I'm going to give you money, but they check out a lot of times. But this guy, he waits to see what it is that he could get from these men. 
And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he commands this man to be healed. He commands the healing. Okay, this is one of the points where, uh, like I say, some people from the charismatic stream take this as the the play-by-play. So they would say that, okay, all Christians must have authority to go around saying, be healed, walk. Or even to take it a step further to say, you are healed in Jesus' name. You are walking in Jesus' name. You are leaping and jumping and praising God in Jesus' name, right? I would say, I would say, I don't see that in scripture. I'll just, I'll just say it that way. Uh, he say, he does command it. I don't believe, and we're going to talk about this under my second point. I don't think that anyone, Peter or Paul or even any of the apostles, I don't think that they healed on command because the authority to heal is not in us. The determining factor in healing is the will of God. And I, so I believe that when Peter approached this man, I believe that the Holy Spirit prompted him and he sensed that the Holy Spirit wanted to do something in this man's life and he knew exactly what he was going to do. And so he did that at the, at the Spirit's prompting, but not just that, hey, here's a lame guy. I think I'll, think I'll heal him. It wasn't initiated, if you will, by the will of Peter. It was initiated by the will of God through the Holy Spirit indwelling him. And that, my friends, is what I will encourage you to be open to. Would you open yourself to the possibility that the Holy Spirit might prompt you to do something amazing? I can't promise you that he will, and I'm not going to give you any magic formulas for how to make it happen, but I'm telling you, would you just be open? And I think if we're open to it and if we're willing to let God do it, we'll see a lot more of it. And so Peter says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up immediately. His feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk. Now, walking was something that he had never done before. And there was one other thing that he had never done before. He had never entered the temple before. In under the law of Moses, a lame person, anyone physically disabled or disfigured, was totally excluded from the religious system. They were unable to enter in. And so for the first time in his life, he gets to enter into corporate prayer in the temple. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. This was one happy dude. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him. Hey, that guy looks familiar. I think he used to be a little shorter. But I know that guy. He's the guy who used to sit outside Every day. I mean, you know, these people came here every day. They saw him every day. He was well known. All the details that Luke gives of this man in chapter 3 point to how he was such a well-known figure in the in the community. And he sat at the beautiful, beautiful gate at the temple asking for alms. And so, as in response, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And it, so now, while he clung to Peter and John, the, here comes the platform, all the people utterly astounded because nobody's seen nothing like this before. This isn't, this isn't divine providence. This isn't like, oh, I'm running short on my rent money this month and suddenly a check shows up in the mail from somebody. Okay, that's, that's divine providence. And that is something that we should thank God for and give glory to God for. But it's not a miracle because it happens through natural processes. Now, if you get a check from heaven says Jesus Christ 777 heavenly way then you know that might be it might be a miracle 
But otherwise, it's, it's God working through natural processes to meet, to meet your need. Although that he may supernaturally prompt the giver, but we're talking about spectacular works of power in the public square. All the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Peter saw, he knew God was doing something and he saw his opportunity and then he speaks. And so point number two, the power of Jesus name to heal comes from God through faith. So we're going to see what is it that Peter had to say to the people. It says while he clung to the people, we just read that Peter saw it. He addressed the people. And this is what he said. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? He says, I don't have that kind of power. I'm trying to be a good guy, but I ain't that holy, right? I don't, I don't have the power or the piety to do this kind of thing. So if Peter didn't do it, who did it? He says it was the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's glorified his servant, who? Jesus, whom you, and they're like, hey, you know, there's a lot of Jesuses here in Jerusalem. Can you be more specific? He says, well, he's the one that you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he decided, when Pilate, the Roman governor, when he had decided to release him, when he had decided that he was righteous, when he had decided that he was innocent, you denied him. You denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So Peter is preaching to an audience who was the very audience at the feet of Pontius Pilate shouting, crucify, crucify. We don't want this one. We want Barabbas, the insurrectionist. But you kill this Jesus. He will not be our king. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Wouldn't it be a miracle for these guys to get saved? Wouldn't it be a great miracle of God for people who stood shouting crucify to come and say Jesus is Lord? And Peter says, and it's his name, this Jesus. He says it's his name by faith in his name. He has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the power to heal resides in God alone. There are two things that I want you to see from this passage, and that's the power to heal is from God, and it's through faith. So we're going to talk about the source of the power, and we're going to talk about how is it that the power comes, Uh, because I think that's where in our culture, Christian culture, we have some fuzzy thinking. Uh, So the power to heal resides in God alone. The Bible teaches that as far as I know, I'm, I'm totally welcome. You know, if you know of another passage, come talk to me. But as far as I know, there is only one healer in the Bible, and it is God. Exodus 15, 26, he says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, this is Moses speaking to children of Israel on behalf of the Lord. He says, and do that which is right in his eyes, give ear to his commandments, keep all his statutes. I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. You remember all those curses that God put on the Egyptians. And he finishes with this. He says, for I am the Lord. And he uses the memorial name of God, Yahweh. He says, I am Yahweh, your healer. There's only one healer. So you may say, but what about 1 Corinthians 12 that says that he, the Holy Spirit gives gift of healing, gifts of healing to people. 
Well, your English translation says gifts of healing. In the Greek, healing is actually plural. And so it says, for unto one is given through the spirit utterance of wisdom to another gifts of healings by the one spirit. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as what? As he wills, not as we wills, but as he wills. He says there are gifts of healings. Now, Sam Storms, uh, who I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Storms, but he's a big champion of practicing the gifts of the spirit in the church. He says that this plural could be taken one of two ways. You could understand it as meaning that God gifts uh, certain people tends or he chooses to work through particular people to minister to particular uh, sicknesses. So you might have someone who for some reason God just really uses them uh, to heal migraines or God really tends to use someone to heal back pain or things like that. The other option is that he's saying that the gifts of healing, meaning each instance of healing that comes, and it doesn't matter whose hands it comes through, but whoever in the church prays for healing, when God, that instance of healing through the Holy Spirit is a gift of healing. Now, Storms leans toward the first option. I lean toward the second because it fits better with my understanding of spiritual gifts, where I, I, I tend to see spiritual gifts more in a functional sense as they're actually being worked out through the body of Christ. So in the same way, uh, Pastor Keith, I think when he was preaching on uh, Acts chapter 2, he talked about the passage from Joel where it says that the spirit of prophecy has been poured out on all flesh. Okay, it's the promise of Joel fulfilled in the church age that the spirit of prophecy has now been given to all of God's people. So there's not like a monopoly on the gift of prophecy, but now all the people of God potentially can operate in the prophetic the way that Luke defines it. They can all praise God by the impetus of the Holy Spirit. They can all testify to the works of God through the impetus of Holy Spirit as God wills. So potentially they could all do it. So I think it's the same thing with healing is that God will sovereignly choose to work through whom he chooses, but the Holy Spirit is, big word, democratized. The Holy Spirit that heals has been given to everybody, and so the Holy Spirit could work through any of us to bring to affect healing through other people. So this is my point. This is why I'm saying all this. I would caution you against claiming that you have a healing ministry or that you are a healer. I, I believe that there are some people that really believe in it and pursue it, and God may use them in a significant way, but I would still, using that term healer has a tendency of localizing the gift on the person. And so we want to keep we want to keep the emphasis of the gift on God himself. And so you can say, you know, God has used me to perform healings, but I would encourage you to refrain from referring to yourself as a healer. Definitely encourage you to refrain from charging anybody money for healing. Uh, That's a, that a big problem. I shouldn't have to say that. So it comes from God, and it comes through faith. In the New Testament, there is an undeniable correlation between faith and healing. It is so prevalent in the Gospels, but we need to be careful that we don't try to establish a perfect correlation. Because if we establish a perfect correlation, meaning that we claim that every time there's faith, then there's miracle, then if we ever pray for someone to be healed and that doesn't happen, what do they leave thinking? Maybe I didn't have enough faith. 
So there is a relationship between faith and healing, but the determinative element, the decisive element in whether healing takes place is the will of God. But there is a correlation between faith and healing. I love uh, Sam Storm says this. He says, faith leads us to look away from ourselves and any notion of self-reliance and confidently trust God for every provision. The focus is not on the person who believes, but on God to whom we look. So I want to caution you again against a magical understanding of faith. This is a a big problem in more charismatic streams is where we have this idea that faith is like a magical power and one that, that, that what really matters is the person who needs the healing to be able to conjure up enough faith. All right. So, so faith is not clenched fists trying to work up enough faith to get the blessing. Faith, what he's describing, faith is open hands a confession of our total inability and a willingness to believe that God can provide for us and that he will provide for us. This may be a little bit of a bunny trail, but do you know that all of God's children are one day going to be healed? Do you know that there's coming a day when it it does not matter what condition people are children of God are in, there's coming a day when their bodies will be made whole. All of God's promises in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. And so your prayer for healing is answered yes and amen, but it may not be now. And so we've got to live live in that tension that the decisive element is the will of God. And so faith is not just about believing God for that prayer right now, but it's about believing in the goodness of God being rightly related to God and knowing that he is going to make good on this promise. He's going to do it in his timing. And I, because I'm not God, I'm willing to let him be God. I'm willing to let him be sovereign over when I receive that healing. Amen. Storm says faith itself carries no power. So this is, he's talking about this magical view. Also, we don't want to think that faith itself is, is, is just magic. And if we have enough of it, He says that it carries no power, but it's instrumental, deriving its significance from the role it plays in relating us to the God who answers our prayers. So the power of Jesus' name to heal comes from God through faith. And so Peter says that in verse 16. He says that the way that this man has been healed has been through faith in the name of Jesus. And scholars uh, argue some about, well, the man in the story, the man doesn't really evidence any faith, right? So is this just the apostle's faith or is this, was it the man's faith or is it both? You know, I think obviously we see from the man's response, Luke is presenting him as a positive example. His response after receiving this blessing is to cling to the apostles while he clung to Peter and John after he was healed. And in chapter four, we're going to see next week when Peter and John get thrown in the pokey and they they come before trial there's somebody standing next to them and it's that man who received the healing and his presence and his testimony it says left the rulers with no reply they had no way to answer the apostles because this man was willing to stand and testify so the power of jesus name comes from god through faith And last point, miracles prepare the way, or I'm sorry, next to last point. Miracles prepare the way for the ministry of the word to explain the gospel and invite a response. 
Miracles in themselves, this is a strong statement I'm going to make that I, that I want everybody to hear, that miracles in themselves cannot produce saving faith. And Jesus, Jesus himself made this point in his, uh, in the gospels when he's, uh, performing miracles and the, his antagonists, the Pharisees, they were saying, this man casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he's, says he didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. God doesn't waste miracles on people who are not open to believing. And so miracles prepare the way for the ministry of the word to explain the gospel and invite a response. So miracles can create a platform through which we have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And the Apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So even in the presence of miracles, there always needs to be proclamation of the word. It's absolutely essential. David Peterson says this, even the great miracle of the resurrection needed to be explained so that the full significance of the event could be grasped and understood. And so I want to challenge some of you to develop your evangelism skills beyond he's alive. All right? Because he's alive is not adequate to lead people to salvation. The, the miracle of the resurrection in itself can't produce saving faith. The, the resurrection is the authenticating evidence that we present that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he was God in the flesh who came, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, but on the third day God raised him, and now he's ascended to heaven from where he will return and judge the world in righteousness. That's the gospel that needs to be proclaimed. And the resurrection is the proof that God was pleased with him. The way that Paul says it is he exalted Jesus and he gave him a name that was above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? The name of Jesus has to be explained and proclaimed. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. This is Peter resuming his sermon. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And look how he unpacks scripture for them. He says, he says Moses warned you that God was going to raise up for you a prophet like Moses, from your brothers, and you better listen to everything that he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So he says, Moses warned you. He said, now look at the prophets. The prophets told you too. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel uh, and to those who came after him also proclaim these days. So he's saying, didn't Isaiah tell you that there would be a child born of a virgin and he would be God with us? And didn't Micah tell you that this child would be born in Bethlehem? And didn't Isaiah tell you again that he would be a suffering servant and that the iniquities of all would be laid on him? And didn't David tell you in Psalm 16 that God would not allow his anointed one to become a decomposed corpse, but that he would raise him again? Didn't the prophets tell you all these things? I don't think you were listening. He says, and you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
He said, remember that old, old promise that God made to Abraham? You shouldn't be surprised by that this man is healed. And you shouldn't be surprised that God is welcoming all people to come to him now. He said, if you knew your Bible, if you knew the scripture, all of what God is doing through Jesus Christ would make total sense to you. And so Moses warned, the prophets predicted God promised Abraham. He, so he, he's explaining scripture to them. He's not just saying, look, this man is healed. Therefore, believe on Christ. He's saying the power that healed this man is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is who the Bible says Jesus is. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus is coming again, he says. So miracles prepare the way for the ministry of the word. Miracles create a platform for the clear presentation of the gospel. I pray that God would work many miracles through the church and would give us increased platform for more proclamation. Last point, miracles prepare the way for the greatest miracle of all. Verse 26, it says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he, he just mentioned in verse 25 the promise made to Abraham, this old promise that, that through the descendant of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he says, but listen, and he's speaking specifically to the Jewish people. He said, God loves you. Even though you denied Jesus, even though you cried out crucify, do you know your God loves you? And so he has sent him to you first to bless you. The idea of blessing in, in the Bible is this idea of favor that produces wholeness, fruitfulness, potency, and power. In, in our vernacular, we might say life-giving power. It, it's this life-giving he sent him to you first to bless you. And, and what does that blessing look like? It looks like turning every one of you from your wickedness. I love this because you're in a context where he's just, wouldn't you say that the man who had been lame his whole life and now can walk and run and jump and join the rest of the congregation in corporate prayer, don't you think he was blessed, right? Blessed man. But Peter says that's not the greatest blessing. The blessing that that man received in his physical body points to the greater blessing of being turned from your wickedness by the Spirit of God, by God working repentance in your heart. Acts 13 says repentance is a gift of God that he gives. Ephesians chapter 2 says that faith is a gift of God that he gives for us to believe. So for God to work in our hearts, I want to uh, read a couple of passages from the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 31. So what? Peter is saying is that God is fulfilling what he's promised. He's saying that in Christ is this new covenant, this new thing that God is doing through Jesus. And uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 31, he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the days when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That was a covenant that they broke. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. One more from Ezekiel. This is one of my, this may be my, my life verse, uh, chapter 36 and beginning in verse 26, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to obey. And do you hear what he's saying? He says in this new covenant that I'm going to make, He said, the old covenant that I made with him, I had all these rules, all these statutes, all these commandments, and they were unable to keep it. They thoroughly failed. And he said, you know what would happen if I gave you a new set of rules? You would fail. You would totally blow it. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put my own spirit inside of you, and I'm going to perform in you what you cannot perform yourself. This is the greatest miracle of God, that God himself comes and gives himself to us and causes us to be the people that he desires us to be. Everything that Jesus demands, he provides. And that is the greatest miracle of God. So are you prepared to proclaim the powerful name of Jesus as God provides opportunity? Are you prepared to proclaim the power of Jesus' name? And I don't know, like I say, if you have been born again, you've got a platform of the miraculous that you can point to. Do not let the world confuse you with a good person. The world has confused us with good people, and we've allowed to let it slide. We haven't stopped them and said, no, I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. I'm an adulterer, a liar, a murderer in my heart. But the power of God in my life has made me something different. Point to the power of Jesus' name. Are you open to being used by God for miraculous healing? Again, I'm not trying to give you a formula, tell you that we should be doing this every day. I'm just saying that if God wants to, are you willing? Are you open to say, God, use me for something miraculous? And and, and are you willing to endure the consequences of God using you for miraculous healing? Because as we read chapter 4 next week, all these people gathered around at this miracle. And when everybody was okay for Peter to be a good man who performed healing, Everybody, nobody objected to Peter being a good person. But when he started saying that the power was from Jesus, he was right in the crosshairs of the Pharisees. Are you willing to say that I'm not just a good person? God used me and I'm willing to endure whatever the consequences are of being used by you because I know that you've got me. Third, be willing to call people to repent and turn to Jesus. Again, doing good things, even being used by God in miraculous ways, it's all for nothing if we're not prepared to leverage that platform to call people to turn to Christ in faith and to say the hard things, that they've got to turn from sin and they've got to turn to Christ. So in conclusion, I just want to uh, encourage you, as I've already encouraged you, and I just want to, I guess we'll dismiss, but if anybody wants prayer...